Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Thursday, September 8th. 2022. This is Shannon, and tonight I'm here with Kristen, Mika, and Brooke, and we are discussing books with complex magical systems. We did this, I think, back in 2020, and we had Kira, and I don't remember who else, Natalia, maybe? I think it was Kira and Brooke, actually, if I remember what I saw right when I was Um, going back. That's very possible. And 2020 was at least five years ago. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So many. <laughs> so many years ago. So, so sure. these are different types of fantasy novels that feature magic in ways kind of beyond like what we think of as kind of the quote unquote normal um, type of magic that we see in fantasy. So, we are going to get started with the usual housekeeping information. Then Mika will start us off, followed by Brooke, then Kristen, and I will end the round. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Book Bistro podcast. Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email, and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the Book Bistro Podcast at gmail.com. So I will be starting off with a book that the the book that really got my like I would say it was like my foundation and introduction to all things fantasy. So it is like the first big major tome of fantasy that I have ever read. Um, and I remember it very clearly because it came in Braille in like each book was like three to five volumes. Oh, and that book is Pawn of Prophecy, the Bilgariad, number one by David Eddings. It, it is definitely like, I guess it's considered like maybe classic, classic fantasy. Um, yeah. So, so yes, I'm taking it old school. <laughs> so, okay. So um, <clears throat> once you get past the prologue that no one ever really understands because it is very much written in archaic language um it is about a young boy named garyan and garyan lives in this big house which belongs to this really nice farmer and he his aunt his aunt's pole um which is p-o-l um stands for polgara and um you know, has been kind of taking care of him 
And then um, a mysterious man kind of comes. He's a storyteller. And he comes to visit Garion and basically says, you're in danger. You need to leave. And basically this whole first book and pretty much the whole series, but especially the first book is about like him you're learning you're learning about Garion and whatever magic he may or may not possess through like as he learns about it so it can be a little frustrating because you don't know what's going on but neither does he and everybody around him um of course knows what's going on but no one is really letting him in on the big secret and so they're like traversing all the lands and trying to get people together to fight something that he doesn't really understand. The magical system in this, in this book, um, there are sorcerers and sorceresses. And um, this is definitely a book of its time because there were way more like men who were sorcerers than women. Ah, yes. um, and women being women holding magic seemed to be um very few and far between but um and it does kind of suffer from some of like the fantasy tropes like some that are like just super classic fantasy tropes but um and the characters can seem like a little bit cookie cutter however it was my first fantasy book and nobody can tell me anything about it It was perfect so (laughs) um the magic the interesting thing about the system is that sorcerers use the will and the word and so if you think about something coming into being and then you give a word it's like the the word that you say kind of activates whatever it is that you are thinking and that's a very very simplistic um, definition of a very complex magical system it is absolutely a very fun read as you watch Gary and be, go from like being a younger boy to more of a sullen teenager that everybody thinks is super annoying but you completely understand why he's annoying because no one tells him anything but they want him to be the grand hero um this book has this series has five books in it they are and a and a follow-up series of five books so you would have plenty to read if you read it and enjoyed it so again this First book is called Pawn of Prophecy, the Bulgariad, book one by David Eddings. I've never read this. Me either. My <sighs> friend's been trying to get me to read it for five years, but I haven't gotten around to it Listen yet. to them. Listen to your friend. <laughs> <laughs> so my first book tonight is called Hope and Red, Empire of Storms book one, and it's by Kelly Scavron. So one note that I will give you about the author is that if you're downloading um, his books from Bookshare, he's actually under John Scavron. But then if you go to Amazon and other places, you'll see it as well as, sorry, um, Goodreads. It's under Kelly Scavron. So there's been like an attack on a village. And this is where we meet Hope. So at the beginning, she's just called the girl. So she's in this village and it gets attacked by these, they're called biomancers. And the biomancers are these magical people who do these like 
kind of very complex types of magic. Um, some, and it, they can do different things to people. So like if they touch you and a lot of it's all, all about touch magic, but there's also some that can do it just by making different gestures, whatever. So it's a very kind of complex system that they have because there's so much variety. So it could be as simple as they touch you and then like your hand disintegrates or they, um, they can like bring somebody back to life and then they can add like different parts onto them. It's kind of, it's, it's a very, as I said, complex. I feel like that's the biggest word I can use. So as I said, our main characters are Hope and Red. So we meet Hope at the beginning and her village has been attacked and she becomes a stowaway on a ship. So this ship and captain have come to this village because they came to trade. They do a lot of trading with this village, but they realize that the village like is quiet. And then they find everyone is dead. Like there's nobody there. But then when they're taking off, one of the crew cruisemen discovers Hope. Um, she's hiding in an area. So they take her on and the captain knows that Hope cannot stay here. So he asks her what her name is and she, she doesn't give him a name. We don't really know if she just doesn't know her name, at, at least at this point in the book, or if it's that she just doesn't want to say. We don't really know at this point. So he calls her Bleak Hope, which is actually what her village was called. So he felt that it was a good way of make, allowing her to remember her village. So as I said, um, he takes her... And he drops her off with a man that we then discover is an old assassin. And he takes her under his wing. They're at a mo- he, he lives at a monastery. And he takes her under this wing to train her. Um, it's not really normal for girls or at least women to be at the monastery. So he kind of trains her without anybody knowing. So as far as they, everyone knows all the brothers or the monks or whatever, she's just like a servant. She just kind of does whatever he wants her to do. So then we also have Red. That's another of the main characters. And he has become an orphan. Um, he was part of the upper class and then something happened. His family gets killed. And he goes and he's becomes like a pick. He gets taken under the wing of a very famous in the city that he's in, um, a very famous smuggler um, and other kind of crime boss. And he, she takes him under her wing and he call, she calls him Red. Um, so Hope and Red, their lives kind of intersect. And I'm not going to say how, but they end up intersecting. And together they have like this really, really interesting friendship that develops into a bit more. And we also learn more about the biomancers and the biomancers have made an arrangement with a crime boss in the city that wants to take over all the slums. So he has hired the biomancers and made an arrangement with them that he will give them people so that they can do their experiments and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So this is book one. And I know I, my 
description was kind of vague, but a lot of this is meeting Hope and Red and getting to know them and also getting a setup for the whole system and learning a little bit about the biomancers and the arrangement that they have with this gangster, but also the arrangement that they have with the empire themselves. So this is Hope and Red and it's Empire of Storms, book one, and it is by Kelly Scavron. And there's three books to the series. So I'm looking, actually we're looking forward to checking out the next book because I really, really enjoyed this one. My first book tonight is The Bells. The Bells number one by Donio Clayton. I love her. And I, I have really only read this book by her. I have book two in this series, but I have not read it yet. Um, but I did, I did enjoy um, book one. So this is uh, our main character, or one of our main characters. Her name is Camelia Beauregard, and she is a belle. And she lives in Orléans. Orléans is a city where people are born gray. They have no color to their skin, no color to their hair. Um, and the only way they can change this is through going to one of the bells. And the bells have magic that or powers where they can manipulate um, body type and color and hair and all, just all things about the body to make someone beautiful. Um, the thing is, is that those looks don't last forever. So you do have to, you know, eventually go back to a bell to keep those looks or to change those looks kind of like when you go get your hair done or your fingernails done you have to go back and have them redone eventually um so that is how beauty works in orleo um but, but for camellia and her bell sisters it's not enough to just be a bell they want to be the favorite and the favorite is a bell that is chosen by the queen to live at the palace and service the royal family. Um, this is like the highest honor for a bell. And so her and a group of her sisters um, go to the palace and they there's the kind of this competition between all of them and at the end, the queen will choose a favorite. But when Camellia gets to the palace and she's within those beautiful gilded walls, she learns that being a part of the royal family may not be everything um, or, or working in the palace may not be everything. It's... Um, portrayed to be there is definitely some crazy secrets being kept and 
the queen is going to ask Camellia to use her powers for unconventional measure, measures to help one of her daughters that has been uh, pretty much in a coma for years and years. And Camellia has to decide whether she is going to stick to her training and find a way to get her and her sisters out of this situation and save the reputation of the Bells, or if she's going to resuscitate the princess and change her world as they all know it. And this book is really, really interesting. Not only is, is their, their magic pretty amazing, like they, they can do, they can make a person look like whatever they want. They can grow their hair super long. They can make it any color. They can change their body shape, their facial features, just anything. It's it's unlike anything I've ever read before. And it's really so interesting. But the the intrigue of this book, the the secrets and the um I don't want to say conspiracies, but the just the different craziness that goes on in this book is it's it just kind of makes you think that you know the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the wall um, because what Camellia thought it would be like living at the royal palace is definitely not what she's experienced. So this is The Bells, The Bells Number One by Doniel Clayton. And there is a second book out and it looks like there's supposed to be a third book. However, there is no title for that book yet. So, but there are the first two. Yeah, I don't... um, I'm not sure when that book is supposed to come out. It's still marked as untitled. So, I love that there are like teacup animals in this book. Like you can have oh, like yes. a teacup lion or a teacup, a teacup elephant. Yes, or a dragon. I want, I want, I want a, a teacup dragon. Me too. I want a teacup <laughs> elephant. So my first book tonight is kind of dark. I, I have to say that going in. This is Kingdom of Souls, Kingdom of Souls, book one by Rena Barron. This came out in 2019. And then I think the second book, which is Reaper of Souls, came out in 2021. So this is about Ara. And Ara is the daughter of two really famous witch doctor lines. She lives in a tribal society. So there are five different tribes of people who live in different parts of of the country essentially and the magic in the society is controlled by witch doctors so they are people who have either sworn allegiance to a certain god or goddess or they are people who whose magic has come down to them through their family lines Ara has no magic, and this is a huge disappointment to her mother, 
And Ara kind of feels like maybe it's a disappointment to her father as well, but he has never actually told her that. And every year she keeps hoping that her magic will appear and that, you know, maybe she's just like a late bloomer. But she's 16 now and no one has ever heard of anyone getting their magic past the age of 16. So she's at the beginning of the book, she's kind of starting to feel like she has to just come to terms with the fact that she doesn't have any magic. And there's bone magic and blood magic. And so often if somebody doesn't have bone magic, they'll have blood magic. But for Ara, there's none. Now there is a way that you can get magic if like it wasn't you know naturally like given to you. But this is a very dangerous ritual and it exacts a huge price from anyone who participates. So basically you can trade a certain percentage of your, of your life for magic, but you will never know the percentage of your life that you're trading. So you could, for example, enter into this ritual and you could expect, okay, I'm gonna trade five years of my life so I'll die five years earlier than maybe I was supposed to. So I can have magic for the time that I'm alive. But magic may have different ideas and you might die tomorrow. So you have, you have no way of knowing this. And so it's a very dangerous thing. And people who do this are kind of looked down upon in the society. Ara has always been one of these people who looks down on people who haven't gotten their magic naturally. But when children start disappearing from her village, she begins to think that the only way to stop this is to undergo this ritual so that she can have magic and access some things that she feels are like hidden from her. And she wonders since she is kind of the, like the meeting of these two very powerful lines, if she undergoes this ritual and is successful, like her magic should be pretty powerful and maybe she can use it to not only find these missing children, but save them from whatever, you know, their, their plight is, like why ever they were taken. I'm going to stop there because anything that I would say after this is going to spoil like pretty majorly um, the plot of this book. This is infused with West African mythology, which I love. It takes magic, I think, in a really different direction than we are used to seeing it. You're not necessarily faced with some of the stuff like black magic versus white magic and, you know, the sort of ethical ways that a lot of people like to talk about using magic. They're, they're not quite as like as delineated here. Um, Ara is a really complex character because she, you can understand why she's making some of the choices that she's making, even though you know, like watching her do this, this is a very, very bad idea. Um, but you can totally relate to her along the way, which I really appreciate. I feel like it's very hard to identify with a character when you're just like, you know, I, I don't understand, like, why are you doing this? It's just, it's very frustrating. And with Ara, you can totally like empathize with her, even if you know that she's not making the right decision. So this is the first book in a duology. This is Kingdom of Souls, Kingdom of Souls, book one by Rena Barron. I'm intrigued.
I'm very intrigued. I liked it. All right. So my next book is one that I feel like is very underrated. And so I want to just bring this book to everyone's attention because the hill that I will die on is the fact that this book is just as amazing as the, as this author's other works. So I'll be talking about On the Edge, The Edge yes. Book One by Ilona Andrews. Yay. And it is a four book series. Each book is better than the last. And it is absolutely amazing. So if you happen to read like the Innkeeper Chronicles and met some people in the Innkeeper Chronicles and, and were like, wow, they're all grown up. They were from this, they were from this series. So Rose is a, um, she's just trying to make ends meet and she has two little brothers um, named Jack and George. And she lives in an area that is called, that's called the edge. So, and the edge is kind of like where magic and reality, you know, where magic kind of meets on the edge. It doesn't really belong in, in what they call the weird, because the weird is what we would consider fantasy, the fantasy world. And a lot of the fantasy world is, is run by a bunch of highfalutin magic users. So, <laughs> um, and it is in the midst of the edge is in the middle of the, it's in between the weird and the broken, the broken being like our world, basically. Um, so magic, I know. So magic stops working when you get there. Um, and people who are magical often cannot survive in the broken. Um, but what I really like about Rose is that she is very determined, very self-aware, and she works at Walmart. And I, I had not read an urban fantasy that was like, <laughs> and this woman like works to make ends meet and she works and she works at Walmart, you know, <laughs> that's amazing. Or she's going to Walmart and probably like one of the best, probably one of the best lines of the book is when she's like, all right, kids, get the guns. We're going to Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. That was funny. (laughs) So um, Rose and Rose is just, she's just trying to raise her kids or raise her brothers. And one of which is a burgeoning necromancer. Um, so like things die and he brings them back and often, uh, what he brings back is not the same as how they is, as what they were before they died. And the other brother is a shifter. Well, in comes Declan, who is definitely a highfalutin noble person, um, and who I disliked for like a chunk of this book, but Declan has magic of his own, has noble nobility magic. Rose has a grandmother who uses magic. Rose herself is able to use some magic. And there's magic like all over the place. There's necromancy. There's healing magic. Like there's just all kinds of stuff. And and Declan kind of really starts to 
shepherd the boys and help the boys through their stuff. And him and Rose have to learn how to trust each other. And the magic is very, very, very complex. Um, This series, I would say that the first book is probably the tamest of the series um, because the rest of them just get real dark pretty fast. Um, These books, like I said, I feel like they are very much underrated um, and they are very, very good. The series is done. It's the wrap up of four books. I wish there were a lot more because I would absolutely love to see more stories in this world um, that that Ilona Andrews has created. So again, that is On the Edge, The Edge Book One by Ilona Andrews. I like this series. So my next book tonight is A Daughter of Smoke and Bone, Daughter of Smoke and Bone, Book One by Lainey Taylor. I originally read this book back in 2016, so I just reread it again to refresh myself. But already after reading this book, I want to read the next next two books because I remember how much I love it. So our main character's name is Karu, and she is an art student in Prague. When we first meet her, she's in art class, and she's chatting with her friend, And one thing that Karu likes to do is she likes to sketch. And her friend is human. So she she doesn't know that these, some of these creatures and people that she, that Karu sketches, sorry, um, are actually people that she knows. So it's really interesting because her friend will ask her like, oh, what have you been writing, like drawing lately? And she'll show her and she's like, oh my goodness, could you imagine meeting somebody like this? And Karu is kind of in her head like, haha, yep. So a lot of times Karu will go missing and she goes and she runs errands. And we find out that she has, she, um, was an orphan as a child and she was adopted by magician demons. And so these demon with her, we'll call them their, her demon foster family. So her demon foster family, um, they're all different kind of creatures that are made up of like different types of animals. So somebody might have like furry legs and maybe like, a lizard like arms and then whatever for a head. So they're they're kind of made of, of different animals. And so Karu, what she does for her foster father is she goes different places through this network of doors. And she's been, the one thing that she loves about her life is that she's been able to visit everywhere. Like if she wants to go to Paris, as long as her foster fam, foster father is okay with it, then he just opens his door and like she's off to Paris. So she's seen like a bunch of different places. So her job for her foster father is to go and collect teeth. And it's a whole different source of teeth. And we don't really know what he does with the teeth, except that we know it has to do with granting wishes. And like, that's all we really know in the start. So Karu, she goes off and she does these different errands. She might go to like a seedy part of the town, a fancy part of the town. You don't really know where she's going to go in different parts of the world. So it's not just seedy places. 
so there's these handprints that are being burnt into doors that are, we're discovering that's kind of happening all over the world. And at the beginning, like we're just seeing these handprints, but we don't know what they're about. So late as it goes on, we discover that there's these angels that have come through this like opening the sky and they're starting to put all these handprints on these doors that go to these different, like this network of doors. So later we find out what happens. So they're able to kind of get rid of the doors by different ways. And so our angel character that we're going to meet, his name is Akiva. And he's very much a warrior. Um, he doesn't, they call him soulless. But he, meet, he discovers Karu. And one thing about Karu is she has blue hair. Like she literally, like that's how it grows. Her friend thinks that she dyes it, but later her friend gets to find out that that's not actually the case. So Karu doesn't really know what she is. She's always wanted to know, but like her foster father never told her what she is. But Akiva, he knows what she is. And we get this whole, when they meet, we get this whole like Romeo and Juliet kind of vibe. And that, my friends, is where I'm going to leave you. This is book one, and it's called Daughter of Smoke and Bone. Daughter of Smoke and Bone, book one, and it's by Lainey Taylor. This is one of these books that I hear about all the time, but I've never actually read, and I should. I really like it. So my next book is Woven in Moonlight. Woven in Moonlight, number one, by Isabel Ivanez. Um, this book is just so awesome in so many ways. Um, Zamina is a stand-in for the actual Condesa. The Condesa is the last royal and Zamina has been raised to kind of take her place and be kind of her decoy all her life. And they live in Illustria and they get a message that this usurper king of um, a place that I am not going to try to pronounce, but the narrator of this book definitely can, <laughs> is asking for the Condesa's hand in marriage. And so it is Zamina's place to travel to this other city and, and take the place of the Condesa and to um, and in the process, maybe get some revenge because this king ran all of the illustrians out of this city. He took it over and he used this really old magical relic to call 
the ghosts of the past to run the illustrians out and the illustrians have just been living kind of on the outskirts and they've been scrounging for years and years um and they're just they're really quite tired of it while this other city has prospered and you know they're not doing the greatest but they're doing a lot better than the illustrians and so Zamina kind of sees this as, you know, she's going to go and take the place of, of the royal. And maybe at the same time, she can exact some revenge for her people. But they come to find out that the king no longer has his relic. He's put it somewhere so that nobody can find it. and kind of overthrow him um and so it becomes zamina's mission to find this relic but then this masked vigilante shows up um she makes friends with this really nice healer in the palace and she meets the king's sister, who is is actually a very warm-hearted, nonviolent person, where the king is very vicious and kind of rules with an iron fist. Um, and so then her new mission becomes find the relic and return the city to its rightful democracy. Um, one of Zamina's specialties, the magic in this series, is that while she is at the palace, she weaves tapestries, but she has the ability to use moonlight to weave with magical thread. So she takes moonbeams and turns them into thread to use in her tapestries. And throughout the series or throughout the book, she is weaving hidden messages into tapestries with moonlight. But what she figures out is when she starts weaving tapestries with animals in them, that if she's using the threads of moonlight, these animals can essentially come alive and come out of the tapestries and move around. They're still like woven creatures. They're still, you know, wool, but they have the ability to take themselves in and out of the tapestries and follow her around or kind of go wherever they want to. And it's really, really cute. She has a jaguar and some frogs and a, an anaconda, um, a lizard. It, it's really cute. Um, and so she is on her mission to do this and she has to find a way to use her magic to pass messages to the illustrians and to figure out how she is going to find this relic and return the city to its rightful um, leaders. So this is Woven in Moonlight, Woven in Moonlight number one by Isabel Ivanez. This is a duology this is definitely a book worth picking up. I've read two books so far by Isabel Ivanez. Um, one was one that just came out this year. And 
I have to say that I am very much intrigued by her writing. She is a Hispanic um, author, and there is a lot of um, Spanish in her books, um, though it is, you can definitely follow it. There's, there, they just kind of throw in Spanish words here and there, but it's definitely easy to follow. Um, but it does say in the synopsis that Bolivian politics play a big role in this series. So it, it, it isn't exact, but it is based off Bolivian politics. My second book tonight is one of the best books I've read this year. If you haven't read it and you like high fantasy that is kind of on the, the darker kind of revolutionary end of the spectrum, I highly recommend this. This is The Final Strife. The Final Strife, book one by Sara El Arafi. So in this world, magic and pretty much everything about life is controlled by your blood. So there are three colors of blood can be red, which is the color of the like elites, the ruling class, can be blue, which are the kind of like middle class, like workers, or it can be clear, which is the blood of like slaves, what they call the invisible. Now, it is believed that the only blood that actually has magic is red. And so this is very important as the story goes on because by controlling magic, the ruling class like controls pretty much everything. So we are introduced to three women. We have Zyla, Anur, and Hassa. Zyla was raised as a blue blood. She is living with some pretty serious drug addiction that helps her cope with something really traumatic that happened in her past. And she's floundering. She doesn't know what her purpose in life is anymore. She used to be part of this revolutionary movement that was planning to overthrow the ruling class. But that kind of went sideways when the group that Zyla was training with, who she also kind of thought of as her family, were slaughtered. Now, the interesting thing about Zyla is that Zyla is actually a red, raised as a blue, and she's planning, well, she's not, but people like more powerful than she is, had this plan of one day having a blue blood, like ascend to royal status. And so if everyone thinks that she's blue, then this is like her chance. So they stole her when she was a child and replaced her with a blue blood. So now there's a blue blood living in like the, the royal palace. And there's a red just kind of hanging out in kind of the, the middle class areas where reds rarely go. And Noor is the one who switched places with Zyla when they were babies. Anur is a blue, masquerading as a red, and her quote-unquote mother, the woman who is like supposed to be her mother, hates her because she knows that Anur is not red. And she does whatever she can to remind Anur just how 
lowly she is. Anor and Xyla meet, and through their meeting, each is able to teach the other kind of like the thing that they were missing, the, the questions about their lives, the questions about the way magic does and doesn't work, and kind of deeper questions as well about this society that they live in. And then we have Hasa, and Hasa is an, an invisible, also known as a ghosting. She spends her time kind of flitting from place to place, doing all the menial labor that the Reds can't be bothered to do. But as she does this, she gathers so much information because people don't pay attention to her. You know, she's, she's just in their minds, not there. And so Hasa knows pretty much more than anybody. She just kind of moves from place to place, carefully, quietly. She does her work. And then she passes on the things that she learns to people that she thinks, you know, need to know it. Um, and she is kind of the, the linchpin in this plan that Zyla and Anor come up with to sort of turn this world on its head. This is the first in a trilogy and it's the only one out right now, which makes me so sad because it just came out in June of this year. And so I have no idea how long we have to wait for book two. And every time I think about it, it makes me really sad because <laughs> I read this just in July and I am just waiting and waiting, I feel like, for the second book. So I'm hoping that it comes, you know, relatively soon. Although if it doesn't, I won't be super surprised because this one was almost like 20 hours long in audio. So I highly recommend it. It is dark. Um, there are some elements of, of torture here. Um, also some racialized language and violence that is based on blood. Again, this is The Final Strife, The Final Strife book one by Sara El Arafi. I'm definitely going to be reading this book. Oh yes. It sounds Read really good. Today as Sarah would say. All of, all of these books that we've talked about just sound really wonderful. And I... <sighs> and you have one more for us. I do. And I am like waffling between two books and it's hilarious. Uh -oh. so, I know, I know. How will you choose? I know, I may have to do an honorable mention. So the last book I'm going to tell you about is actually, so this is a new genre for me. I'm not, I don't really know a lot about this genre and um, I've seen it talked about a lot on Twitter and it's been quite the buzz and there's lots of audiobooks coming out apparently like with this genre. And if you don't mind, I just want to go into a brief kind of explanation of the genre. Um so this genre is called lit RPG. And what I really like about these books is that um, a, lot of, a lot of the time people, um, these authors who have written these books are on like a website, whether they've created their own or there's like a specific website that will, um, that hosts web novels and they post on there and then they get a huge following and then they like might get a Patreon or something and they crowdfund 
And then they're able to publish their books and, and make audiobooks. And I just think that's really awesome. Um, Lit RPG basically is like if Dungeons and Dragons, if the Dungeons and Dragons manual had like fiction in it, like <laughs> had a story to go along with it in the monster manual. So it's all kinds of adventures that characters are having. And um, I don't know if it's like this in the audio or the Kindle version, but if you read it like on like the Royal Road website, for example, which is where I found the current book I'm going to talk about. It even has like a character sheet. And as the book progresses, you get to see how the character progresses. Like if you like scores and stats and that kind of thing. So the book I'm going to talk about is called Stuff and Nonsense. <laughs> Thread, Threadbare number one by Andrew Seepal. And this book is honestly like the most adorable book I've ever read in my life. Um, it is a five book series about a bear, um, a teddy bear. And as the book begins, a man is trying, he is turning to different stuffed animals and attempting to make them like form a group and and he's trying to animate them like so animating like a golem or something like that right <laughs> and Ooh. and not and not every animal like it doesn't work on every animal and as the teddy bear starts to realize like specific things you see like it's literally like an rpg so you'll see things like intelligence plus one so you kind of <laughs> see like as you see his stats go up and and he gains levels and as he gains levels and stats like specific jobs open up to him that he can take um and those jobs are like different classes so like there might be a ranger job or like a or like a mage job or something like that so it and it is really very interesting so if you've ever been interested in gaming but maybe you're like oh my gosh i don't understand all of these stats it's like you get a primer on how stats work. And Andrew Staple has created like his own world, his own kind of RPG system, and then fictionalized it. And that is a lot of what lit RPG is all about. And you start to learn more about who the bear is and he's starting to learn more about himself and about the world. And he really does start out as like... He has no idea what's going on because he was a teddy bear for like his whole life. And all of a sudden he got um, he was animated and he's having to learn about the world. There is a cat who does not really like the bear very much at all. And then there is a little girl named Celia who um, and Celia is she's getting like different She's getting enough stats and enough like requirements, prerequisites to get different jobs um, that she's able to that she's able to get. Um, and she's like eight or ten or something like that. And so she is basically she and the bear go on all kinds of different adventures. And just in case you start thinking, well, gosh, I don't want to read this book. This sounds like a bunch of like cutesy, cutesy, cutesy children's BS. <laughs> This is not, that is not true. It is very much 
it is very much like a world of wonder, yes, but it also gets really dark in places and you start worrying about the bear because also the bear has hit points. And oh, no. if you know anything about RPGs, when your hit points oh. go down, you die. So if yeah. they go down to zero, you're, you're dead. And a bear um, probably wouldn't and, have very many. Exactly. He does not have very many at first. Um, but you see him go from like someone who doesn't really know anything to like just learning how to learning how to survive. And it's so much like found family in this book and just there's a lot of stuff. There's betrayal. There's like figuring things out and going on grand adventure and where the stakes are really, really high. And there are, I believe, five books in this series. I think that they might be done. Um, and I, after the first book, after the first book, I feel like if you're going to get this book, you need to just get books one and two together because the first book really upset me with the ending. Like it, it was good. It was good, but it was also like a cliffhanger. And I just was like, no, oh my gosh. So I'm glad I was able to still keep reading a little bit and it gets it gets really really intense and there's lots of friends to be made along the way and you know the bear as the bear gains sentience and starts to understand more and more he gains more intelligence and he has stats and scores like he has stats like constitution which gets him you know makes him more healthier and robust and he and strength and wisdom and perception um, and things like that. And he gets, he ends up getting a, several different jobs and the magic system in this book, it's, um, it's all about like the stats that give you the prerequisites to get enough magic. And if you are feeling a little worried because I'm talking a lot about stats, don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> you'll, you'll see every time you boost up it and you'll, you'll understand it, but there's necromancy. There's there's like the kind of healing that your standard like a D&D cleric would do. There's elemental magic. There's like different, um, you know, there's summoning magic. So you can summon different familiars. Like there, there's telepathy. Like there are so precognition. Like there's so many different styles and types of magic and you just keep learning about it as you go and it is really quite wonderful so if you want to go on a romp with some fun found family that is led by a bear and a precocious yet adorable child um then please 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 do read stuff and nonsense see even that is a pun so stuff and nonsense threadbare Book one by Andrew Siepel. A bear. I have read one lit RPG book and um, it is definitely an interesting genre because if you've ever done role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons or Alter Eon or anything like that, like... Yes, um, it, it's very similar to that. It's just put into book form. So you're seeing the game played out by these characters yes. 
and their stats go up and their levels up. It, it, it really is an interesting style of writing. And to be quite honest, I get really bored playing these games, but I actually oh, no. like reading the books. So my next book tonight is Once Upon a Broken Heart. Once Upon a Broken Heart, book one, and it's by Stephanie Garber. How far would you go for love? Our main character's name is Evangeline. And she's always looking for love. Like she's determined that she's going to find her true love. But she meets this boy named Luke. And she falls like head over heels in love. But then she doesn't know why. She's pretty sure. Like she thinks that maybe he was bewitched or something. But he falls in love with her stepsister. And he gets engaged with her. And this is really upsetting to Evangeline. So she goes to the temple where um, the Prince of Hearts um, one of the fates is located. And by going here, you can kind of ask for different wishes. So this is the day of the wedding. So she goes to the Prince of Hearts and she asks Jax to help her, to help her stop this wedding. So in exchange, he tells her that he'll do this for her, but that she has to do three things for him. She, he wants her to kiss three different people and he's, gonna, he's not going to tell her when this is going to happen and she can't say no or something will happen. So she's so in love with Luke and she's decided that like that's got to be her true love. She decides to go with it. So she does. And she quickly learns that making a deal with the Prince of Hearts is so not a good idea. And one thing I didn't mention is this is actually like a spinoff of the Car- the Caravel books. Wow, so Caravel. we will see a couple of the characters. Like we get to see what's up with Scarlet and Donatella. Yay. And we also get to see a, some of the magic from Caravel. But we also get to investigate like a different part of magic within this world. We get to meet a lot of the fates and we get to see what kind of magic they do and how it all works. So she goes to where the wedding is and there should be lots of noise, right? Because it's a wedding. But she hears nothing. It's absolute silence. So she runs into the backyard where this is supposed to take place. And the backyard is full of a whole bunch of stone statues. Jack is like, Jax has turned everyone into a statue. Ooh, and it's well, kind of like, over. I know that stopped the wedding. Like he did what they, what he did, what she wanted. <laughs> well, this is not really what she wanted. And she sees Jax in the background. And she says, like, this is not what I wanted. Like you need to, you need to change this. And he's like, well, you didn't want him to marry her. Well, <laughs> she, he's not going <laughs> to be marrying her. And then she sees this container of some kind of potion. And she's like, what is this? And he says, well, if you, if somebody drinks this, then they can take the place of these people. So Evangeline is completely guilty. She feels really bad. 
and she's decided that she needs to change what happened. So she drinks it and she turns it into a statue. Oh, thankfully it doesn't last too long. She's a statue for about six weeks and she comes back kind of long. (laughs) So she's gone for six weeks and then she starts getting her feeling back slowly. And then she discovers that there's some people that are all excited that she's back. And she's got these, all these like news stories that are taking place now because like, she's like this, the woman who turned into stone and took the place, like saved the wedding party and whatever. Um, she discovers that Luke and her stepsister, Mary Saul, they're not actually married yet. So she doesn't know what happened. So she goes back home for some reason, like her stepmother, Agnes, and then Mary Soul, they're all, all excited to have her back. And we quickly learn that Agnes, the stepmother, is excited because now she can get a dowry for her. So she puts this like ad in the paper saying that she's ready for suitors. Well, Evangeline is not interested because she's still in love with Luke, but also she's kind of shy about love now. So she tells all of her suitors that she's not interested in getting married right now because she can still turn people into stone. So obviously people quickly leave because they do not want to be turned into stone. So they do that. Um, And then Evangeline is called to the palace and she's asked to attend this party. Um, It's a party held by Apollo, and he's the prince of another kingdom. And he always invites different people to come to his parties because he's kind of trying to find his true love. So she goes to the party, and she invites Mary Soul to come with her. So they go to the party, and some things happen. Um, Apollo looks to fall in love with Evangeline, but there's some issues with this. And of course, Jax is involved. And we quickly learn that Jax has an ulterior motive for all this. And that Evangeline plays a big part in this plan that he has. And the reason, there's reasons behind why he's gotten her involved. So this is Once Upon a Broken Heart, Once Upon a Broken Heart, book one, and it's by Stephanie Garver. I do not want to turn to stone. Thankfully, the next book comes out next Tuesday. Ooh! So I'm pretty excited. It comes out on the 13th. My final book tonight is one that I want to say that I've talked about this series before, maybe in a sci-fi episode or something. Um... And I'm going to talk about this as kind of a series instead of each book individually, because there's really no other way to talk about it. (laughs) Like each book is over 20 hours long and just so much happens within each book um, that it's just best to talk about it as a whole series. So this is Witch of the Federation Federal Histories books. And You can look them up either way because each book is Witch of the Federation, um, Federal Histories 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, blah, blah, blah. I believe there's six books. 
Um, this is by Michael Anderley. And he has written one epic sci-fi world here. Um, I kind of want to say that this is a little bit sci-fi with some fantasy thrown in for good measure. Um, but it definitely is futuristic. Um, people have ships, spaceships, and hover cars, and all kinds of cool things, cool technology. Um, there are AIs everywhere <laughs> that, um, it just everything is super smart. Um, but Stephanie is our main character. And we meet her in her high school, like her final year of high school. And one of two things can happen to these kids um, that are graduating high school. Uh, if their families are not able to pay for the higher preparatory schools, then they are kind of reduced to living in what they call the government assistance type of things, kind of like the blue collar uh, side of the world, um, which, you know, isn't a necessarily a bad thing but it's not the greatest either where the people who are higher up and more monetarily set um or the people who are tested and are deemed smart enough to be accepted into a preparatory school may get their uh tuition funded by the government um but usually those kids are of the more high class families of this world. Um, however, Stephanie is a genius and doesn't necessarily know it. I mean, she's very smart, but her level of smarts is kind of off the charts, to be quite honest. And when she goes for testing, at the end of her senior year, um, typically there are people on the other side of the computer that do the testing. But this time, somebody kind of drops the ball and decides that they're tired that day and they're going to pass her on to the AI that runs the virtual world. Now, the AI is not usually, um, he's actually never tested anyone before. He runs oh. the programs and things of this nature, but he, you know, he's, he's never personally tested anyone, but he gets Stephanie and he realizes something about her and he decides that he is going to pass her on, on through, and she is going to get to go to one of these preparatory schools. However, she gets recruited by a company um, that is kind of run by the AI. Now, they are trying to create um, advanced technology and, um, and all of this. They are also trying to uh, there are other peoples 
in this that are on other worlds that are kind of jealous of the humans because they have such advanced technology and all of this. But the humans have one set of allies called the Melagornians. And these are a type of kind of like elven people. They have magic. They um, are very distinguished. Uh, they very much remind me of of elves for sure. And that is kind of how they are described just, you know, as far as like physical features and everything. Um, but their magic turns out that Stephanie can control their type of magic. And this really makes her useful to the human world but she has to learn to use it and to control it because it can be very dangerous. This magic is, they call it MU and GMU. And these are the different types of energies found in the world around her, just in the air, in the ground. Um, it, it's just the different energies that flow through the world. And she can combine these two energies very carefully, might I add, because too much of one and coming together too fast can blow up everything. Oh. Um, it, it's really qu quite the intriguing story. Um, this, is, this is just a series that is just so epic. And so the books are so long and so much happens, but she can use this energy to fight and she really becomes extremely powerful. Um, but she is on the side of good. There's a lot of evil in these worlds that has to be, um, that has to be controlled and, and brought down. And Stephanie is very much key to all of this. Um, but she is human. And that's what I find so amazing is because she is just, she is just a human. She is not of any kind of foreign descent or magical being ancestors or any of that necessarily um, that she knows of, um, at least in the beginning. So she doesn't know a lot about her history, um, but she will learn all about that. So I highly recommend for a good sci-fi slash fantasy series, and you're going to dedicate a lot of time to these books. Uh, Michael Anderley's Witch of the Federal or Witch of the Federation Federal Histories books. They are all on Audible. They are read by an amazing narrator, and it's just a series that I actually think I will revisit because it is just so epically amazing. So my last pick tonight is the Mythos Academy series by Jennifer Estep. Oh, I want um, to read. Oh, these are so good. Natalia told me about these um, a few years ago. And I read the first one and I was like, oh, this is cool. And I didn't pick up the rest for a long time for like a reason that I, I don't really know. I just got distracted and never finished. Um, but Jennifer Estep, like 
anything she writes is amazing. She writes um, adult, like kind of high fantasy. She writes urban fantasy. And then she writes a couple of series for young adults that are kind of like urban fantasy as well. So Mythos Academy is one of these YA series. And the first book is called Touch of Frost. So we follow Gwen. And Gwen has this ability that she doesn't understand. Basically, she can touch an object and she can see certain things that happened to the person who owns that object. And she doesn't understand like why she can do this. And it actually got her removed from her previous school because it caused like a whole bunch of trouble. And she doesn't understand, like she wasn't able to give anyone satisfactory answers as to why she could do this, like how she knew the things that she knew. So her grandmother enrolls her in this private school called Mythos Academy. And it is a school for the magically gifted. But what you don't realize right away is that these people have magic because of like pantheons of deities. So things like gods and goddesses that we read about in mythology are kind of brought to life here. And these students work in the service of different deities. And Gwen is feeling kind of out of place here. A, because she never knew that a place like this existed, but also because her power seems kind of paltry compared to some of the things that other students can do. It has kind of a, um, like a, a high school feel. You spend a lot of time understanding like the, the way that this school works, who is part of the in crowd and who is kind of on the outside edge. Um, you have, you know, some of the like high school romance elements that do take place in some of the, the YA fantasy. But at its core, you have this very, very well-developed system of magic that is linked to various deities. We also see that because these deities, like if you are familiar with myth mythology, you know that gods and goddesses um, don't really have a lot of like a lot of the substance to like the things that they do. So they're kind of bored and they just like move, move people around like chess pieces and make all kinds of like weird things happen to people. So as they do this, there are these like factions of, of deities that are fighting and they get their students to kind of get in on this. Um, and so people are murdered, relics are stolen, like all kinds of things happen. And it's all kind of done in the name of these deities and like people serving these gods and goddesses that they were sworn to, um, you know, when like when they entered the school. Um, there is a spin-off series to this as well. As I said, Jennifer Eastep is just a phenomenal writer. If you've never read her, I highly recommend pretty much everything she does. She um, released her first science fiction, or she will release her first science fiction this month. Um, and I'm pretty excited about that as well. So this is Touch of Frost, Mythos Academy, book one by Jennifer Eastep. I really liked what I've read by her so far. Um, didn't she write the elemental books? The elemental assassin? Yeah. Yes. Um, I've read the first I have one, read like so seven that was really good. 
So that concludes our episode tonight on complex magical systems. Thank you to, I almost said Stacy, who's not here. Thank you to Mika, Kristen, and Brooke for participating tonight with a wide range of magic. Thanks as always goes out to Christine for all of her editing. And we thank each and every one of you so much for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.